Welcome, everyone, to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations that explore diverse topics and stories that impact our communities. I'm your host, Sasha Fu. Today, our guest is Dante Dawes, who is a tireless advocate for youth in the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in San Diego. He's prioritizing the needs of young people through his work in San Diego with the Union of Pan Asian Communities, which is also abbreviated as UPAC. Well, he's juggling a lot of roles and responsibilities these days, among them several programs that are based out of the Neighborhood Enterprise Center. And that is a very special resource, a unique resource that serves as um, both a mentorship and a job training for youth. Dante, we wanna welcome you to Asian Pacific Voices. Sasha, I'm grateful to be here. Um, I look forward to uh, uh, going into some of the details about uh, the work that we do here at UPAC and our impact in the community. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be able to share um, you know, what we're very proud of. You are doing quite a bit in the community these days, but I really want to learn about you first, about your background. What is your ethnic heritage and where did you grow up? Uh, so I'm Filipino and um, yeah, I was born and raised in uh, uh, National City, Chilibus and Bonita, parts of San Diego, born and raised. And you went through school, and what happened after that as a teenager? What were your dreams or aspirations? Uh, well, as a teenager, I don't really, I didn't have any uh, real aspirations at that time. Uh, I just wanted to kind of navigate through high school and, and maybe figure it out. I was that kid that didn't really have a lot of direction or much... Uh, to um, you know, kind of progress to. Uh, interestingly, though, I um, I need to get a job, and mm -hmm. uh, at uh, you know, seventeen years old, uh, I, I don't know how I should get into this because I want to be a little careful about. It. I was in some trouble uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I so I don't want to turn this into a story like I'm just some hard uh, uh, you know troublemaker because that's not true. But I was in a little trouble for a little bit of um, well, fighting. And then uh, I went to go work at a, uh, I, I need to get a job. I just was uh, happy to get any sort of job. And I was offered a dishwashing job at 17 years old. And um, it was at a restaurant nightclub over in San Diego. And uh, I was just so thankful for the opportunity. The boss really, really liked me. Somehow I let it slip that I was in a little bit of trouble for fighting. And... Um, I don't know why I said that in the interview. I guess I felt so comfortable around him. Um, but instead, I thought I was going to lose a job. He actually offered me a job as a bouncer. And uh, that was a very, very interesting situation because, you know, what I was actually, uh, you know, I don't want to glamorize, you know, fighting or violence because that's actually the opposite of what I represent now. Um, but interestingly, that provided me an opportunity. Uh, so I asked him, hey, what do I do? He said, well, uh, you got to make sure everybody's at least 21 years old. And at the end of the night, um, you're probably going to have to escort some people out. And um, it was interesting because those other bouncers and my boss became my mentors at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say this about my boss. You know, he's either the greatest caring and giving mentor anybody could asked for or he's the dumbest business person in the world because uh, <laughs> that's just a lie liability lift, you know to yeah. have somebody monitoring your security and safety at the club 
and it's in the hands of a 17 year old or, or you know part of the team but what he did is instill in me that um you know i'm just so grateful for that opportunity uh, nobody else would do anything like that and what happened is that uh, boss and the other uh bouncers who are in their 20s and 30s became my mentors they're the ones that encouraged me to go to school. They're the ones that empowered me to realize that I'm a lot more uh, intelligent than I gave myself credit for. Um, and that, that that's why it makes me who I am today. I went on to Southwestern College, uh, studied criminal justice, graduated near the top of my class, San Diego State as well, uh, and then went on to law school. Uh, but you know, everything that I do now, and I know we're going to get into it more about how proud I am to work here at UPAC and, and impact the community's kids. It really goes back to when I was 17 years old and know that somebody out there believes in me that much to offer me a position like that is something I'll never forget and really transformed who I am today. It sounds like just having that early, uh, somebody in your corner who said, yeah, we believe in you. We believe you have tremendous potential gave you this kind of energy to move forward. I want to ask you, though, a little bit related to that. What is it about you personally, in your character, that you think allows you to relate better to these younger people? So I think I have to go back to my days as a probation officer. Ironically, you know, when I was much younger, uh, I not that I'm anti-law enforcement or anti-probation, just, you know, I, I want to stay away <laughs> from, from that, especially I was in a little bit of trouble at the time. But um, I, I would have to say that um, when I became a probation officer, I already knew that uh, I want to work in the communities that need the, the support. And, you know, probation department is a very interesting and unique, uh, uh, you know, world. You, you come from, there's so many different types of probation officers. I was the very proactive uh, probation officer that really, really wants to, uh, rehabilitation was my was my main focal point. Even though I'm a probation officer, I do have, you know, uh, you know, I, I do have, you know, some power, resting power. Um, I, I have to enforce accountability. However, you know, you have to do that with a balanced approach, and that's what I did. So I have to, you know, I, my upbringing, like I said, with the club, that gave me the, 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 I guess, realization that people really are caring. They'll, they'll help you out even when they put their own. Uh, interests at risk, like like the other bouncers and, and, and the owner. When I was a probation officer, I worked uh, exclusively City Heights in Southeast San Diego. I was already familiar with the area. I mean, I grew up most of my time in National City, um, so I'm familiar. National City has a lot of character traits as Southeast San Diego and City Heights, so I'm not unfamiliar with it. But just working with a lot of these youth, uh, just understanding the obstacles and challenges that they have to uh, overcome I mean, it's very easy for, and you know, I'll be a little critical, even probation officers at the time, they just see the end result of this kid, whether it's truancy, drug use, gang involvement, um, you know, just not caring, committing crimes. Now, I'm all for holding them accountable, but, you know, we really have to look at, well, what was the source of that? How did they become this person? It just didn't happen overnight. This is in the years and years of, uh, you know, whether it's a poor environment, bad decision making, you know, bad peers. Um, so I had a very comprehensive approach, and I was with a, a division in probation department that embraced that also. Yes, I was a probation officer, but I was also partnered with a youth counselor and an alcohol and drug counselor. Those are the two primary challenges with a lot of the youth. There's uh, mental health uh, issues that need to be addressed, and there's substance use issues. Addiction issues are a very, very uh, real thing with our youth. 
Uh, so mm -hmm. it's a bad combination. So I was fortunate to be part of a team uh, that was, you know, well-rounded so that we could, you know, make the impacts that we do. And it sounds like you were doing meaningful work at the county probation department. What led to your departure? Why did you decide to leave? So, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll be, uh, you know, candid. Uh, one, I mean, I'm not going to exclusively say it was the environment of probation. I had finished law school at the time, and I went on to move to uh, a position with the public defender's office. Um, but the second reason is I think we just weren't uh, uh, vibing as far as philosophical as wise working with the kids. There were certain um, things that were introduced at the time that weren't necessarily a conflict with me, but it wasn't like the approaches that I embraced. Um, so there was a natural kind of, um, I don't want to say, uh, um, you know, going in separate ways, but, you know, with the opportunities with the public defender's office, I would just finish law school. It was a natural progression anyway. However, the timing seemed about right uh, because uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, the new influences that were coming in were, were a little counter to what, what I represented with, with City Heights and Southeast. And again, I'm not turning this into a probation bashing segment, and that's kind of the nature of all law enforcement programs. <laughs> no, that's not our intent either. Right, right. Uh, you know, it, it evolves. It's 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 almost sure. cyclical. You know, there'll be like a rehabilitation model, more of a punitive model, sometimes a hybrid of both. And that was about the time when it seemed right for me to go ahead and part ways. Well, let's talk about what you're doing at UPAC. You, in my introduction, I mentioned that you have a lot of responsibilities and most of them revolve around the development of programs at the, uh, as I call it, the Neighborhood Enterprise Center. Did I get that right? Neighborhood Enterprise Center? Correct. A large part of that is job training, um, employment readiness. Tell us a little bit about that. And specifically, there's one program that involves putting young people in the kitchen. Yeah, no, that's that's our bread and butter right there. And I, you know, actually, I I guess I was trying to be funny there, but I, I didn't mean to be funny. I said bread and butter in the restaurant. Um, yeah, so I wasn't trying to say a cheesy joke there. It just sort of came out. Um, but, you know, before I talk about the enterprise there and the impact and the opportunities we provide youth, uh, it all started with me coming into UPAC to oversee a program called ACE, uh, which is Alliance for Community Empowerment. This is a gang prevention and community violence response program. Uh, I have the most dedicated team in the world. They respond to violence throughout the entire county. All the tragedies you see on TV, including the shootings, stabbings, the homicides. You know, this is a big nightmare for many people. And, and if you're watching this, I, you know, I apologize if, if this, for, you know, causes any form of re-traumatization. It's just re very real. And I'll be blunt. Mm -hmm. These families didn't realize their dad was going to get killed that day. Their 19-year-old son, their 13-year-old son. Um, these are nightmares that are occurring, uh, and families, uh, um, respond to these differently. Uh, we have a team, most beautiful team in the world goes out there, um, to provide comfort and care answers, um, you know, support linkages. And, you know, I'm very proud of this team and it's a very unique team. Uh, sadly, um, the team, they've lost their own children to community violence. So, that in itself is just so, uh, I can't talk about this team enough. What would normally destroy a person in those situations, they actually use that tragedy and that experience to help others that are trying to navigate that pain that they had. So 
very, very uh, incredible team. We have grief support counselors, spear specialists, uh, counseling, and we do what we can. So as you can see, that gets very heavy. And we work 24-7. We're, we're at all, you know, crime scenes, hospitals, uh, in the community and houses. So, you know, that gets very deep and heavy. We're, um, so to balance that, we get to work with a lot of great youth. We work with about 150 to 200 youth per year, various mentorship programs. We work with youth that are on probation, refugee youth. And I hate to use all the labels. I'm just sort of describing the challenges that, that, that our youth sure. come from, you know, addiction issues. Um, and we provide, you know, a place for them to thrive. And, you know, I'm not just sort of just using words. We create spaces that they feel welcome at, comforted, uh, safe, a place where to eat. I mean, it's just really sad. Some of these kids, they, they have no place to get food uh, because the families are are, are, are are having trouble. So they come to group for food. But really, they just come for, for the guidance. And, you know, we're non-judgmental. I have a team uh, that uh, of mentors and other youth staff that come from lived experience. A lot of our staff come, our, our former gang members come from the neighborhoods that our youth come from. And I'm not saying that it's not absolutely necessary to have those experiences, backgrounds, but it really helps break down some of the barriers that we had, that, that some of the youth have with trust and, and being able to confide in somebody. The fact that we come from similar backgrounds, it really kind of helps, um, helps us relate to the kids much, much quicker. So I'll fast forward to um, the Enterprise Center. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, where do you find your participants or the people who want to go out in the streets at one o'clock in the morning because there's just been a shooting? Are they folks, you say some of them have been touched by tragedies themselves in their own families, but do you, most, do you find most of the people are coming forward and saying we want to get involved or do you have to sort of solicit their participation? So a combination of both. Now, fortunately, we are a program that is funded by the county. It's a community violence response team, and it's comprised by people that just have the biggest hearts. They want to help. And, and, and like you mentioned, like I said earlier, they, they unfortunately have lost their own children to community violence or, or loved ones. So, um, it, you know, the fact that that fuels them to help others is pretty remarkable. But there's community partners. It's not just us alone. There's uh, many partners out there. It started with uh, like an organization called Compassion Project, and it's evolved to other programs. There's you know CAST is a very well known uh, uh, um, entity that, that that support or that that tends to community violence, uh, run by uh, Bishop Bowser and, and other pastors. Um, there's many many community leaders out there. Uh, when when we see these tragedies happen. Um, you know, it just it's one thing to um, complain or, or 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 try to make things happen that addresses it, but you just got to go out there and provide this comfort and care. So it's a whole network of of people, and we're very fortunate to have uh, from a program. But you know, the ACE program, we were all doing this work even before this program came out. So uh, a lot of our our staff they have their own foundations and and nonprofits. Uh, this is. You know, UPAC and ACE really gave us a vehicle to come together, you know, to, to, to really kind of maximize our, our, our power and our commitment to our community together under, uh, under UPAC. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question. It's just uh, it's people with the biggest hearts that are very genuine. Yeah, it sounds like it's a web or network or an alliance of many different groups that have come together and you sh are in some ways sharing resources, people who have combination of lived experience, some people who are just very impassioned about wanting to help 
uh, stem the violence in the community. So you have people from all walks of life who are participating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's an incredible team. Um, so from that, from the basis of of NEC, you know, we're working with all these youth, and we do everything we can, whether it's you know improving your decision making, valuing school, self esteem, community esteem. Uh, you know, obviously there's addiction issues, gang prevention. Um, but you know, one of the things that was lacking was employment. I mean, that is a, a critical piece. Uh, when I was a probation officer, if I have a youth, and I worked with about three, about three thousand youth, uh, in my time with with probation. Um, if I worked with a youth for more than six months, they're going to leave with two things. One, they're going to have to have a resume. Um, and one of the things is, you know, a lot of youth say, "Well, I've never had a formal job." That doesn't mean you can't complete a resume. Um, you can complete a resume even with uh, volunteer work or work you do at, at the house. The second thing is each one of these kids is going to learn how to make a meal uh, for their family. So I think this, you know, and now I'm touching into some of the things that maybe didn't resonate well with probation. I used to take my kids to the grocery store and we used to shop because I would teach them how to maximize, you know, their their money to get, you know, good value food and nutritious food. And we go to the house and cook it. Uh, and that was a great experience. One, not only did it help you know, my relationship with the youth. Um, but I'm teaching them some, you know, obviously how to cook, but then how to budget properly. And what would happen a lot of times is the family members, you know, unfortunately, a lot of my youth did not have the strongest relationship with their guardians and parents. But when we're cooking in the kitchen, very, very frequently, parents would join us. And then we're all kind of engaging in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and that's why food is just very uh, a unique feature because one, it can lead to job opportunities, but it's also a function of sustainability, you know, for these youth. Um, but I used to do all kinds of stuff like that, and it didn't always sit well with probation during that time. Now, now uh, probation, now I think they embrace you know, <laughs> those sorts of things. So maybe I was just ahead of my time, maybe. But you know, I, I always try to do things that are outside of the box to really relate the kids. Nothing unethical, of course. I'm not there to try to break rules, but it's okay to try to try some new uh, approaches when relating to these youth. And I think uh, you know, I, I did a very decent job. Well, we've sort of been talking around it, but I want I want to learn a little bit more about the genesis of the culinary training program and what you're doing now with the cafe. Right. So, um, like I said, nobody was hiring our youth um, and they were putting genuine efforts. I mean, I worked with many youth. I know when a kid is saying you're trying to get a job versus doing, uh, and these kids were grinding it out, trying to get the job and they wouldn't even get an interview. So it's mm -hmm. very disappointing, very frustrating for these youth. So you pack, uh, said, you know what, let's just be part of the solution. Yes, we will continue to do what we can to, you know, improve, improve employment, but let's be part of the solution. Let's provide a place where they could get training and employment. And that's how we came to the Neighborhood Enterprise Center. Uh, so Neighborhood Enterprise Center was a combination of two programs. It's the youth that we wanted to um, provide culinary training and, um, and uh, print shop training. And that was combined with another program we hold, had Called Noble Works, and I was a uh, I was a uh, manager at that time, and I helped uh, adults with serious mental illness open up their own business. Mm. So we merged those two programs to really get the momentum to open up the Enterprise Center, which is what it is today. And the Enterprise Center is a forty five hundred square foot facility. We have a cafe, we have a catering company, we have a graphic design and print shop. 
and it's right in 52nd and University over in City Heights. And we've trained roughly about 200 to 250 youth so far. We currently employ about 40 youth, and we're looking to do more. So, I mean, I, I make no secrets out there. If you like what we have going on, then you're going to come in and get our food. That's it's a pretty simple formula. If you come in and, and like what we have, purchase our product, that's how we continue to hire kids. That's how we continue to, you know, uh, you know uh, pay them so they could, you know, take care of their families. The other reason we opened up the center is City Heights. And, you know, this is now I stem back to my time as a probation officer. It was always really disappointing how City Heights community in Southeast San Diego is portrayed only with negative, I guess, character mm-hmm. traits. You know, mm-hmm. uh, high school dropouts, gangs, drug use, uh, property crime. I'm not going to sit here and say that doesn't happen, but, you That's know, that true. happens in every neighborhood. But that is not the... Uh, the what these neighborhoods are about. These neighborhoods are family oriented, very resilient, hardworking, ethical. Um, you know, and then again, kind of like with the job thing, when nobody's giving our kids jobs, let's open up a place. Same thing with kind of the outlook with our communities. Instead of complain mm-hmm. about, it, well, how can we how can we change some of that imagery? So mm-hmm. uh, we focus on the diversity of city heights. It's very diverse. I, I would say it's the most diverse region in all of California. If you look at the score mileage, I know LA has pockets of ethnic uh, uh, neighborhoods, but they're very isolated and 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 you know just for those particular populations. San Diego, you have probably 30, 40 different ethnicities within a two-mile square radius uh, of, of one another. So on our menu, we reflect our community. We have you know Somali food, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Syrian, Mexican, Filipino, Lao. I'm sure I'm missing wow. some more stuff. Korean, Nepali. And this is beautiful. It, it, it represents our immediate community and this is not Food Network TV. I know people have heard me say this before. It's not culinary school. We learn directly from our community members. What better way to honor our community and the diversity through food than to honor the traditional recipes, traditional you know flavor profiles, um, and, and that's what we do. And it's really an honor for me and our chef, Chef Eddie, to go into the homes or for them to come here and, and, and teach us these, these uh, dishes. It, it's really heartwarming. Uh, I remember learning how to make traditional kippe uh, from a Syrian mother. Um, and Eddie and I went into her kitchen and here she is uh, making traditional kippe for us. And we were literally in tears. Uh, she comes yeah. from a tragic background. I, I don't necessarily want to put all of her information out there, but I think we're all familiar with the tragedy in Syria. And unfortunately, uh, she, uh, well, she, 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 has a, a traumatic past, but, but here she is re, resettled in, in San Diego. And it's just an honor for us to be there with her. And that goes for a lot of our, we have a dish called Sakuma, which is taught to us by a Ugandan nurse. We have Kana from a Korean mother. I mean, there, there's just, there, there's a ton of dishes. And, and so that's, that's partially why we want to, uh, you know, really highlight the, the strength of diversity. And we do it through food, you know, even as adults, you keep hearing, Hey, embrace culture or, sure. or diversity. Kids don't know what that is. Adults don't even know what that means sometimes, but we do it through food. I might not know your culture, but I like food and that tastes really good. So now I want to learn more about your culture. 
Yeah. I think uh, food is the great equalizer too. <laughs> it's an ambassador it for introduction to other cultures. <laughs> I haven't heard of many other programs like this. Have other organizations that are doing similar community work reached out to you and said, hey, we want to model a program after yours? Are you kind of blazing a trail for other community-oriented organizations? Yeah, I think we're setting um, the, not necessarily the bar, but we're one of the, uh, I guess, more known ones. But we came at a time, it's it's not the most, uh, it's not the newest idea. There are other, other organizations that have similar backgrounds. I know like U East is one, the IRC has a, a program. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Kitchens for Good, which I believe their focal point is more of the re-entry population. So the, it's... It, there's all kinds of different types of programs similar to ours. Um, and it's in no way am I saying it's a competition because it's not. There's so many people out there that need programs like the ones I just mentioned in ours. Uh, we're, we're definitely uh, proud to be, you know, one of the uh, more reputable ones that are out there. And, and when I say more reputable, it doesn't mean that there's irreputable ones. I just mean that we're we're one of the ones that people think of when it comes to this sort of social enterprise program. Um, and I just thank UPAC and the board for taking this risk. I mean, as a nonprofit organization, you're generally risk averse when it comes to finances because uh, you need to make sure that your finances are strong. And we're trying to open up a business. And we all know business, especially the food industry, likelihood of success is very low. Um, but UPAC... Uh, embraces that idea like, well, you know, our community needs this help. So even though, yes, there are some risks, it's it's a risk that we're willing to take because of the impact that's going to have. And that's exactly what uh, we're carrying out. I have a question about the youth who are working either in the cafe or catering end of it, or as you mentioned, this print shop, which I'd like to learn more about. Are they actually being paid a wage for their labor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the whole idea behind this whole program is is we want to we want to make sure that these youth have jobs you know our our, our youth are our, our, and their families are suffering so uh the youth any youth that wants to try to earn uh, and support their family it's uh we're going to try to make that happen so we do have some paid apprenticeships but we could only sustain the uh our, the growth through our revenue so that's why i always tell people if you like this place then come get food over here that's the only way we're going to continue to uh to grow now we do have some internal programs because the other function of enterprise center is to be a valuable and culturally competent center that the community could rely on so we do have programs. we have like cal fresh enrollment we do pebt we do like uh, some promotion for sdg and e <clears throat> we have a small business program to help small business we have our food distribution program. So all these different programs we have, in addition to just the cafe catering print shop, is designed to empower our community. And the beautiful thing, and, and the reason I started the whole story about when, when I got offered this job at 17 years old, um, is all of our programs I just named, it's run by youth themselves. I'm sitting at the desk of uh, where we do our accounting, and she's just, I think she's still 17 years old, and she's in high school. She does all of our uh, payables and receivables, and we have some very high-volume invoices that we're dealing with. Our micro-business program that I was telling you about, that's run by a 20-year-old uh, successfully. Our, our food distribution program, which is about 8,000 pounds of food per week, 
uh, you know, when, when we started during COVID, that was run by a couple 19-year-olds. Um, and, you know, it's not like uh, like I'm just saying that there's youth and then secretly me, the old guy, is running it and, and, and pulling all the strings. No, I got other things to do. These youth <laughs> yes. are very much in control, taking full uh-huh. lead positions with these successful programs, and they're executing it uh, amazingly. They're getting paid and they're getting practical experience and real work skills, real skills that they can use in the job market. So when they go out and apply for mm-hmm. a job down the line, um, the um, prospective employer may turn around and say, well, do you actually have any experience in this? And they can say, well, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> right, can you tell right. Them? No. And, and that's what we. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, Dante, do you have any success stories about some young person you worked with who started out at the Enterprise Center, maybe working in the cafe or the print shop, and they have just, you know, soared? They have just soared. Yeah, we have we have many. Um, I'll start off, first of all, her name is Peaceful Land. Um, she's all of our boss here. And when I say that, she really is all of our boss because we have a lot of functions here. I talked about our community violence program. Mm-hmm. I talked about our mentorship program. We have handfuls of you know community programs. We have our vibrant cafe and print shop and catering company. Um, Peaceful is the only one out of all of us um, that knows how to do every single one. Oh, and then the accounting, the admin side. Of, I don't know the admin side or the accounting side. Uh, uh, she, she does, but but she's the one that exclusively knows everything. So she is one. Our goal when working with the youth, and she's a Korean youth, was um, was to uh, uh, graduate them from high school. She's our first uh, college grad, and she graduated from Point Loma Nazarene last year, and now she's in charge of pretty much the entire department with us. Dante, it has been a pleasure learning more about what you're doing with UPAC. And uh, if there are ways for us to follow what you are doing or what your organization is doing, how can we follow you on social media? Um, before I close, can I get one more thing that I, I want to sneak in here and I'll take a 30 second uh, sure. <laughs> before, but uh, I'm sorry. Uh, another uh, uh, program we're very proud of, which is a continuation of the Enterprise Center, is uh, Timmy's Place over in downtown uh-huh. San Diego. Um, so this is a remarkable, I mean, it could be a whole nother show, but I'll, yeah, I'll wrap it up in 10 seconds. It's a beautiful coming together of our UPAC NEC with Urban Street Angels, with the Rolf Benershka Legacy Foundation, and Lucky Duck. So this is a pizzeria and a high-volume print shop, and we hire exclusively homeless transition youth from Urban Street Angels. Uh, and please check us out. So our, you could reach us, though. We have our website, upacst.com, and our handles, uh, our Instagram, and, and Instagram, i do not not sure about the Twitter, is upac underscore sd, um, and then for the youth programs, upac underscore sd underscore youth. And Sasha, I thank you so much for your time and, and allowing me to kind of share what we're very proud of over here. Well, thank you for all your hard work, your dedication, your determination, and your passion. It really is making a difference in so many lives, and we thank you for that. We'd also love to hear from you, our listeners, about any suggestions for future show topics or guests. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. 
Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit group that empowers our Asian and Pacific Islander communities with a voice through the media arts. If you would like to support our program, please visit AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm your host, Sasha Fu. Thank you so much for listening. And please join us again next week for another exciting and thought-provoking episode of Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Until then, take care, everyone.